in that place of transition, when you're the most uncomfortable, that you're actually making the most progress. There's nothing that you can't do if you don't want to. Whether you know it or not, you probably do have a lot of networking contacts. I was raised to be employee. I wasn't raised to follow my passion. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Welcome to the Happen to Your Career podcast. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. This is the show where we share stories of how high achievers find career happiness and meaning. I think that one of the most interesting pieces of human nature and psychology is that we all drastically overestimate how unique our situations really are. And what's kind of interesting about this is we're, we're predisposed or, or automatically biased to think that our situation is special and it's the most challenging set of circumstances. And we see this every single day with people of all ages. And I've, I've even, I mean, I've seen this throughout my life. I've seen this throughout, like everybody I know is impacted by this. Right. And that said though, at every single age, there's also some real challenges as well, especially while you're making a career change. And you know what? We actually wanted to figure out what some of those real challenges are when you're making a career change at 20 or in your 30s or in your 40s or even even you know 50s and above, right? And there's even some secret advantages as well at each one of these ages. So we actually asked four world-renowned experts to come in and help us break down those challenges, both the real challenges and the perceived challenges for each each age group of changing careers at you know, 20, 30, 40, or 50 plus. And we even went so far as to use this episode to create a little mini guide for each decade of your life, no matter which one you might be changing careers at. So you can find that entire entire guide at happentoyourcareer.com slash 232, where you can read it and download the transcript and everything that goes along with it. But we wanted to be able to go and talk to these people. So we actually sent our very own podcast manager, Josh Rivers, to go and ask some of these hard questions. I'm in Oklahoma. I moved from the city out to the country. And so this is my first time living in the country. So it's going to be a new experience for sure. Usually I am on the back end editing the audio. So every once in a while, Scott lets me out of the the basement to be able to virtually see some people. He's nice like that. That's Josh, by the way. So what are some of the perceived challenges that people in this age range have? I know when I was graduating from college and entering into my 20s, I had these dreams and visions of, you know, climbing all those steps, getting the good grades, getting the right internship, graduating with that high GPA and then opening up the door and there would be up at the top kind of my dream job. You know, whether you may, maybe it's working at Google where it's so cool, it doesn't even feel like work. You're just laughing all the time and playing foosball and solving the world's problems all in a day's work. That's kind of what I envisioned when I got to the top. And that's Paul Angoni. He's a writer and a best-selling author. And he's got a new book that just came out pretty recently called 101 Questions to Ask in Your 20s. And he's actually a pretty hilarious writer. I've gotten to know him uh, over the last three or four years or so, and he's become a friend. He's a hilarious writer who knows people in their 20s better than they often even know themselves. And instead, I climbed all those steps. I got the good grades. I had landed the right internships. But when I got to the perceived top graduating, I opened the door and I felt like they had tricked me in a way. And I ended up back in the basement and I was starting over. And I didn't realize at the time that I was starting over, you know. And so you're exploring and there's all these dark halls and locked doors. And there's this one guy at the end with like this bad comb over who you have to give your resume to. And he just laughs at it and rips it up. You know, that's. 
that's what it felt like when I graduated from college. Now, now I was graduating as well, more in the Great Recession time. So jobs were scarce at that time. And, and you start quickly realizing that, uh, you know, my bachelor's degree, uh, my liberal arts bachelor's degree, I got a degree in communication studies from a small private school. Well, it was a great education and I loved it. I wouldn't change it, but it didn't exactly fling open the doors and saying, oh, here, welcome. And here's all the job opportunities that are now laying before you. I had to work really hard to to pound open those doors. To, and so it was a change of a mindset, really. And so I think that is the perceived challenges in a sense of 20-somethings who have big dreams and big goals, who want to make a difference, who want to make a lot of money, who want to make an impact. I know I was that same way. But then you quickly realize that, you know, it's not going to happen as quickly as you maybe envisioned it was as you were climbing those stairs. And there's going to be a lot of do-over moments along the way. So what would you say are the real challenges? Yeah, I would say some of the real challenges are, I mean, I guess it would be in some of the perceived challenges that I mentioned as well. They, they do mirror some of the real challenges in the sense that, you know, the bachelor's degree doesn't get you as far as it used to. You know, now you see a lot of 20-somethings today feeling like, well, I have to get my master's degree. I'm unemployed. I already have $30,000 in debt, but let me add just another $50,000 and get my MBA as well because I guess that's what I should do because my bachelor's degree feels as worth as a, as a high school diploma. And then the fact that there just are a lot of millennials, especially, there, it's a big demographic so you have a lot of people with a similar skill set, with similar experience, all applying for similar type jobs. So even though the job market has improved, we've seen that kind of thawing out a little bit. Uh, it, it's still a competitive market, especially for 20-somethings with this, uh, a typical certain kind of uh, experience. So there are some challenges as far as you know, maybe taking jobs that feel like, man, this is not really a good fit, or uh, this is not the career path I want to be on, or I, I, I'm really struggling here. So how do you do your best work in jobs that don't feel the best? You know, how, how do you bring your best self to jobs that feel really wrong? And I think sometimes that is the challenge of your 20s, it, you know, that really let lousy jobs are kind of this 20-something rite of passage sometimes. But I quickly learned as well that that you learn a lot in the jobs that you like the least. And hopefully you learn the lessons quickly so that you don't have to go and get another lousy job, that you can keep progressing and, and increasing your skill set and making connections so that your next opportunity is a better opportunity. Um, and, and then maybe also you're working on the side and doing, you know, the quote unquote side hustle as a 20 something. I think that's more the reality now than it is the rarity that you're working a full-time job, you're working your side hustle, you know, your dream that you're working at is, is feeding you while you work at your job and your job is feeding you while you work at your dream. But you're going to have to hustle a lot and, and really success in your 20s is, is more about setting the table than it is about enjoying the feast. And, and in the process, you're going to have to ask yourself some really good questions about what is your why? What is your significant why? Why do you want to do what you do? And how are you going to get there? And you have to be very strategic uh, in the process because, again, those doors just aren't going to be flung open for you in your 20s like some of us, I think, expected it to be that way. So what are the secret advantages that this age range would have compared to other age ranges? Yeah, the thing about your 20s and I, the, the struggle and the ambiguity and the confusion that I see people working through as they're trying to find that path, as they're trying to find that place that feels like home, it can feel very unnerving. It can feel very uncomfortable. And, and this doesn't seem like an advantage per se. It seems like an uncomfortable place to be. But what I found out through my own story and then working with, you know, hundreds and thousands of 20-somethings at this point is it, it's in that place of transition when you're the most uncomfortable that you're actually making the most progress. And that if you're feeling those, those feelings of angst or you feel like you're I'm going through a quarter-life crisis, you know, as we're saying these days, 
well, gosh, that is a great time to again, be, be, be flexible, to be open, to be fluid, uh, you know, to start realizing that your twenties really isn't about life going as you planned, but it's about how you change and adapt and grow as it doesn't go as planned. And so again, I think that's that, that's that opportunity there, but you have to capitalize on it. And that's why I'm so big on, on being strategic about the questions that you're asking, because sometimes it can feel like you're overwhelmed with questions and ambiguity, but we have to be asking the right questions. And that's why I wrote the book, 101 questions you need to ask in your twenties. It's kind of that culmination of 10 years of research and writing for me that I wish I would have been asking earlier in my twenties as I tried to figure out, okay, what is the career path I want to be on? How am I going to make this happen? How do I start strategically planning for this? And how do and how do I start realizing too that the career path is probably going to look a lot different for 20-somethings now than it did 20, 30, 40 years ago? I think it's a lot windier. It's not the direct linear path up the corporate ladder as much anymore. It might look something like uh, kind of like island hopping. And that's the diagram that I create in my book. It's it's this just island ha- hopping career journey where you're picking up different skills at different islands, and you have to be very strategic about how you're going about doing that. Because really, this is a generation that's that's a kind of a creative mashup. You're this creative mashup that's creating creative mashups that are your own and they're unique to you. And there's a great opportunity there to do good work and to do your own work. But you have to take advantage of it and you have to plant those seeds in the ground and water them consistently because success, again, is just not going to happen in a day. It's like planting an avocado seed. It's going to take about 10 years before you see any fruit and you got to be watering it a lot throughout the process. That is a long process. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. So what advice would you give to someone who is in this age range and struggling with making their change? If you're struggling to make a change, if you're struggling to transition, if it feels too scary, well, I'll pose a question to to everybody in that place that actually a, um, a gentleman named Seth Godin posed to me. And if you know Seth's work, he's, he's this amazing author, speaker, thinker. He's written books like Lynchpin. You know, he's this New York Times bestselling author. And for my new book, 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, I reached out to Seth, uh, who I've had the privilege to get to know over the years. And I asked Seth, I said, hey, what do you think is the question 20-somethings need to be asking themselves right now? And then I was I was afraid to ask Seth this question. I was, I was nervous. I'm like, I don't want to waste Seth's time. He's in this important person. I don't want to bother Seth Godin with this question. But I finally asked him with you know trembling fingers and anxiety of what is Seth going to think of me? And then and then Seth replied back in you know about five minutes. He sends me back an email. And his question that he wanted me to include in the book to 20-somethings was, what is fear holding you back from and is it worth it? And it was that, is it worth it question that really spoke to me? You know, is the fear that is holding me back, the fear that is keeping me from taking that risk, is it worth it? And, And most of the time it's not. You know, if we look back at different times in our life where we have taken that risk, those, when we held ourselves back and we felt anxious about it, or we felt depressed or we felt stuck, you know, that wasn't worth the forward movement that we then gained. So that's why I even say in my in my book, 101 Secrets to Your 20s, that the, the possibility for greatness and embarrassment both exist in the same space. You can't do anything great if you're not willing to be embarrassed in the process. So if you're sitting there right now and you're either making a change or you're afraid to make a change, if transition feels overwhelming and scary, well, first of all, you're not alone. It's scary for everybody. Transition is difficult. It is a tough season to go through. There's a lot of breaking in a sense when you're transitioning, just like a breakup. When you I mean, literally a breakup is a transition. You're breaking up with something. And in your 20s, I think you're going through a lot of breakups with your past, with your school, with relationships, with a, your home as you move. There's a lot of breakups. But as you transition, it's okay that you fail, you know, and that it's almost cliche now that, you know, be comfortable with failing. You know, you're going to fail a lot, 
you're going to take those risks. But when you fail, don't begin calling yourself a failure because you're not. And again, you're not alone in this. And even though everybody is making their lives look amazing on social media and we're kind of overwhelmed with what I call obsessive comparison disorder on social media, especially as 20-somethings, that we're constantly comparing ourselves every single post of every single day, you're okay. you know. And, and not everybody's life is as amazing as it looks, obviously, on Instagram. So reach out to people. Don't go on this journey alone. You know, don't be that person that's struggling to make it appear like you're not struggling. Reach out and pick up good resources to help you along the way. Help, you know, find mentors, help find guides that will help guide you in that transition. Because even though you might feel lost, you're also exploring. But explorers get lost on purpose with purpose. So that's the goal. Intentional lostness, exploring on purpose with purpose and bringing along guides along the way to help you do that. Okay, so that's 20s, right? And that wraps it up. But what about people who are not in their 20s? Or what happens once you get into your 30s? Well, we brought in somebody you might have heard before. Oh yeah, you can make excellent uh, references to things that millennials or younger millennials are gonna consider vintage or won't even know about like N64 and NES and all sorts of great stuff like that. That's Lisa Lewis. She's a career change expert and a certified career coach on the Happen to Your Career team. You've heard her before on episode 147, following the breadcrumbs to your dream career, plus like 10 other episodes. Now she's worked with countless 30-somethings over the years. Here's what she had to say about the challenges of changing careers in your 30s. What are some of the perceived uh, challenges? We're going to talk about the real challenges in a minute, but what are some of the perceived challenges that people in this age range have when it comes to career changes? I think that the nuance between the perceived and the real challenge is so interesting, especially for folks in their 30s, because the, I mean, the age bracket of just turned 30 all the way to 39, about to turn 40, encompasses a huge amount of different perspectives and life changes, life stage changes for most people. So it's hard to come up with any one descriptor that accurately covers everybody that's in that decade of their career. But some of the things that I tend to see pop up in different clusters of folks in their 30s are, number one, people put especially high performers, smart, ambitious people will tend to put a huge amount of pressure on themselves to have figured it out. So, you know, the twenties felt like the decade of exploration and trying out new things and, you know, didn't really matter. They were spending a lot of time doing other things that were important and just getting their lives together as adults. But then there's something about when the clock strikes 12 and on your 30th birthday, that seems to bring about this belief that, You've got to have it all figured out and you've got to know what you're doing and what path you're going to be on for the rest of your life. Um, and so one of the perceived challenges can just be, this is where I'm supposed to be and this is not where I am. And feeling the frustration and the pain between the expectation curve and the reality curve and wishing that there was more overlap there than there is. So I think that's one big perceived challenge is this self-imposed pressure and expectation that as if there were one right final answer, one right final job that you would be doing for the end of your days. Um, And I think sort of paradoxically, an interesting thing that also pops up as a perceived challenge for folks in their 30s is oftentimes they feel like they're too far into whatever path they've been on to make a change. And sometimes that, you know, when you take a step back from that belief, it feels a little, um, a little funky because if you think about how long they've been alive or how long they've been in the working world, most people in their thirties have a whole nother lifetime's worth of time left in the workforce alone, much less being alive on the planet, you know, Lord willing. But the fact that you can be at 35 feeling like it is, you know, you've invested so much and you've come so far that it's too late to turn around but yet you probably have another 30 to 35 years left in the workforce, depending on retirement age and the way that you structure your career. Um, that, that perceived belief that, you know, well, I've spent the past decade plus of my life working in environmental engineering or working in 
marketing and media and publicity, or I've spent that working as a an educator, you know, as a fourth grade teacher, it can be really painful to think that, you know, because you've invested so much that there's no chance to make a pivot, make a change, make a correction, you know, do something completely wildly, excitingly different and go to say grad school to make a pivot from being a teacher into being a social worker or making a pivot from being an environmental engineer into being a natural resources economist or something else like that. So I think that's probably number two of the perceived limitations um, or perceived challenges. And I think number three for perceived challenges can be a real grappling with the difference between the expectation and the reality of who you are and what your priorities are right now in life. Because in your 30s, there is such a great amount of reorganization and re-clarification and prioritization of your values. Because so often the 30s are the decade in which you have amassed the financial means to make an investment into a home, or you have amassed the relationship capital that you are engaging in a long-term romantic relationship, maybe adding kids to the mix. Um, If you're going to have a fur baby, you've probably gotten it if you're in your 30s. And so fundamentally, the things that you value are different than what they were in your 20s and your teens at some level. There are going to be some foundational values that don't change for you, but even the way you organize them relative to one another can change. And so a perceived limitation, I think, when you're in your 30s is being beholden to previous versions of you and what that previous self would have wanted. Because what your 20s self would have wanted for your career, for everything else that career affects in your life can be wildly different than what the real 30s version of you is interested in having or not having. All right. So then what are the real challenges? So I think that of the perceived challenges of seeking a new opportunity in your 30s, that there are hints of all of those that are real challenges. You know, the underlying theme that's a real challenge among all three of those different perceived challenges is having dug in your heels on a specific set of beliefs about who you are, what you're capable of, that you might perceive as being unchangeable, but are fundamentally creations inside of your brain, which with the next breath you take into your body, you could decide are not true or not true for you or are different for you. And so I think that a real challenge of being in your 30s is paying exquisitely close attention to the things that you believe to be true or not true about who you are, what you're capable of, and what matters to you, and giving yourself permission to rewrite the script and rewrite those beliefs as fits and serves you in that specific era. Because just because your life has changed and you have new priorities and maybe you have a house and maybe you have two kids, doesn't mean you couldn't have a, say, three-month sabbatical where you take off and pull the kids out of school and go travel around the world. You know, there's no reason that some of the dreams that might have gone with a less less rooted, less tethered lifestyle can't still exist for you. But your perception about what's available or not available for you can make a big, big difference. So giving yourself the space and the permission and the openness to keep pursuing the things that bring you joy, even when the people and the models around you are tending to be a little bit more rooted, a little bit more stable. You know, a lot of times in your thirties is where, especially I think for women, as you're thinking about potentially having kids or wanting to be a really active role in their lives. I think that oftentimes, (coughs) excuse me, often, oftentimes this is where the Sheryl Sandberg lean in principle. It starts to pop up because there's a real temptation to try to lean back a little bit in your career to create more space to be with your family. And I think that, you know, one of the beautiful things that Cheryl does through her book is talks about ways that you can have your cake and eat it too, and continue to have fulfilling, exciting, meaningful work and ask for more and ask for more responsibilities and draw smarter boundaries to get yourself the support that you're needing so that you don't burn out or, or sacrifice really important priority time with family. Um, while also creating the time and space for what you need. Because by the point that you're in your 30s, if you're in a more typical corporate setting, you probably have people working under you and you have people that you can delegate to 
and take some things off of your plate and be a little bit more particular and choosy about what the things are that you are in your zone of genius when you're working on such that the things where you might be in a lower zone of competence, you know, even in your zone of excellence, that you could delegate those to somebody else who, for whom that might be their zone of genius, that you can stay focused and productive and executing on the stuff that's really joyful and flowing and meaningful for you, while also getting out of the, the workplace at a time that makes sense so that you can honor the other things in your life. So I think that the perception game and figuring out what's available to you and what you've told yourself is available is one of the biggest challenges of being in your 30s and also being willing to set the boundaries to protect the values that are the most important for you, whether those boundaries are with your family, whether it's with your job, whether it's with yourself, you know, whether it's with the way that you're honoring other things that are important to you but aren't quite as important to you, that those are probably the biggest real challenges that being in your 30s can start to bring up. What are the secret advantages that they have over other age ranges? Well, I think being in your 30s is kind of like a secret weapon time of your career because you know, when you're in your 20s, the perceived age discrimination things that can pop up for you just based on your age alone and your competence and your commitment and your interest staying in a place for the long term and your ability to make a contribution at a more leadership level are, you know, really societally determined. And similarly, once you start to get into your 40s and 50s, there's a new and different creative wave of age discrimination that pops up, um, you know, based on people below you in age getting more power and responsibility and having certain preconceived notions about how adaptive or flexible uh, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s are in the workplace. So... 30s are a pretty sweet spot to be in terms of having a secret superpower that first, nobody has these, these really entrenched deep beliefs about what people in their 30s are or are not capable of. You know, you see people in their 30s making career transitions and coming in much lower on an organization's org chart totem pole than you might imagine for someone at that age, but they also are so dedicated and so willing to work hard and make great contributions that they'll climb up quickly. And conversely, a lot of folks in their 30s are already stepping into VP level type roles and some even C-suite level roles, depending on the organization and its size and how long their tenure there has been. So the secret weapon part about being or the secret advantage part about being in your 30s is that there's nothing that you can't do if you don't want to. Being in your 30s gives you tons of time to, if you want to pull the emergency brake on whatever career path you've been marching down and do something wildly different, you have so much time to do that. I mean, if you're 39 and you decide at that moment you want to go back to school and go to med school, even if you have to do some prerequisites, by the time you get out of med school, you will still have at least 15 years of time as a practitioner which is plenty of time to go ahead and pay off those student loans, create a rich life for yourself, get to help the people that it feels really joyful and meaningful for you to help and create this second chapter that would be really, really fun and fulfilling and exciting for you. So I don't think there are any secret superpowers or advantages about being in your 30s. I think they're all pretty explicit that you know enough about the world to be able to create a lot of value you have gained enough experiences and skills to be wildly helpful. You are mostly sort of older millennials. Uh, so you've grown up with a lot of technology. So you feel really technologically fluent and easily able to dive right in with a lot of the millennials. But you also are far enough along in your career that you can hang with folks in their 40s and 50s, you know, sitting in a boardroom or around a conference room table and be respected and valued like a, a top contributor. So being in your 30s is a pretty rad place to be. What advice would you give to somebody who's in this age range and struggling with making their change? Well, number one, if you are in your 30s, you are old enough to know that asking for help is not a bad thing. And if you are struggling and you're not asking for help, what the heck are you doing? You're bringing it all upon yourself. This is like a new and interesting way that a perceived belief or a limitation is getting in your way of doing what it is that you want to do. 
because you're at the stage in your career, most likely where you've had enough time to build up some capital and you can afford to invest in things for yourself, whether that's books, classes, a graduate degree, coaching, therapy, all sorts of other stuff that can make a huge impact and a huge difference in your day-to-day happiness, in your sense of clarity about what's next for you and the path and the accountability to make that change happen. And by the time that you're in your 30s, you probably have a little bit more of an established community around you, whether or not you are in a long-term romantic relationship. You know, you have had enough time to really to develop some beautiful adult friendships. You are probably playing a new and different role within your family unit than you were when you were in your early 20s. And you have so many other people around you that your happiness, your fulfillment, or conversely, your sense of unhappiness or dissatisfaction can have ripple effects on. And we know that having dissatisfaction over the long term has ripple effects even for yourself in terms of your health, your physical health, your mental health, in terms of your excitement and your energy level, in terms of the way that you're thinking about and viewing your life, and in terms of the people that you're attracting into your life. And if you have the choice and the option to make a change and go after something that's new and exciting, why not set yourself up for success in every possible way? Why not double down on taking a class and having a coach and reading the books and finding some mentors and doing everything else to make it as easy as possible? Because you probably have a lot of things going on in your life. You know, it's not the same sort of like untethered freeness that a lot of folks in their 20s tend to experience. You know, you have a lot of things that are pulling on your time and your energy every day. So why not invest in systems and programs that'll make it as efficient as possible for you to make a transition? Because anybody and everybody can do it on their own if they can find the time, if they can create the mental clarity and space, if they read the right books, they do the right research, all that good stuff. But if you don't have to go at it alone, And there's no reward for making that transition without getting help and external perspectives. And in fact, there might be things available to you by asking friends, family, and outside experts for help that you couldn't get to on your own. Why not do it? Maybe sort of an important extra clarification to add would be that the sort of older part of the 30 spectrum that falls into a little bit of that no man's land, which is like, I don't quite feel like Gen X, I don't quite feel like Gen Y, I don't quite feel like a millennial, I didn't completely grow up with technology, so while I feel technologically literate, I also don't feel like I'm as fluent as some of my counterparts. I think that that actually can even buy you more street cred with your uh, more experienced peers to be able to really have a, a seat at the table there and to be empathetic to their mindset. You do have the tools, whether you know it or not. Um, There are things that are working to your advantage, even if you feel like you're in kind of the worst possible situation. That's Jessica Sweet of Wishing Well Coaching. She specializes in peeps that are in their 40s, and she's also an expert in career change. Now, here's her thoughts on the perceived challenges of making a career change at 40. So I think... In their 40s, people have sort of psychologically hit an age where a perceived challenge is their age. So, you know, when you're not in your 30s anymore, you've kind of crossed a threshold and you're sort of in this funny space, which is middle age. So you're too far into your career to feel like you can just drop everything and restart but you've got too much career left to just stick it out. So I think a perceived challenge is being in this funny place where you're, you're feeling particularly stuck and being at that middle age. So I think age has, has a a couple of, of different ways in which um, it's sticky at in your forties. So um, it's that it's being in that very stuck place where you're you're right in the middle, too far in um, to to just drop everything and restart, um, but also too too much ahead of you to stick it out. And then age also being sticky because 
there's this perception of ageism. So people feel that they're going to be looked at and perceived as too old in the marketplace and, and be discriminated against. So what would you say are the real challenges then? I think ageism is a real challenge. It does begin to be a thing. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that that is something that is a real challenge. I don't think it's an insurmountable challenge, but I think I do think it is a challenge for people. I think another challenge is that people are at this point usually, you know, into a job for several years. So, you know, some people have had several jobs, but a lot of people that I've talked to have been at a job for, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, more, and they haven't interviewed for a long time. They haven't been, they haven't kept their skills very sharp in terms of um, knowing how to get a new job, Um, you know, knowing how to network, keeping their network alive, um, just being really on the edge of that type of thing. So, a real challenge is figuring out how do I kind of get back out there? Um, It's almost like the dating scene, you know, you don't really know how to get yourself back out there again. And so a real challenge is figuring that out, figuring out how to do that, even figuring out um, what you want to do is a real challenge. And when you're at that stage that I talked about before, where you're kind of um, too far into just give everything up and, and start again, and you have too much career ahead of you to just stick it out, and you're sort of woken up in the middle and, and you realize you don't like your career, being in that place where you realize you don't like what you're doing can be very, very uncomfortable. So that's that's a real challenge to be stuck in the middle there and realize, oh, I, I don't like what I'm doing. I need to figure something else out. I don't know how to do that. And, um, and I, I can't, I can't, I'm really stuck between a rock and a hard place. I can't stay in. I can't get out. I don't know what to do. So that can be a real challenge that I've seen people struggle with. All right. So what would you say are the secret advantages that they would have over other age ranges? So, um, a couple of things. One is the years of experience that people have. So people do at this point, have a lot of experience under their belt. Um, They've done a lot of things in their career. They've seen a lot of things. And another thing is that whether you know it or not, you probably do have a lot of networking contacts. And most people that I talk to, that is the case. So it doesn't have to mean that you have, you know, 500 plus LinkedIn contacts or that you go to networking events all the time. Your networking context can be, you know, your neighbor, your brother's friend. It doesn't matter how you're connected to these people. But at this point in your career and in this point in your life, you do usually know a fair amount of people. And those people, those connections are advantages to you because knowing people, having connections, being able to reach out to people, that's the way that you will usually make the connection to your next position. Um, So that's a real advantage. When you're just starting out in your career, it's harder because you haven't had the breadth of experience and you you haven't had the time to make that number of connections. And so it's a real advantage to have done that already. What advice would you give to somebody who's in this age range and is struggling with making their change? So I would say, don't stay stuck. A lot of people that I talk to wait and they hope that something's going to change. You know, they they sit in their career and they think, well, something will shift for them. Something will happen in their jobs. They'll get a promotion. Um, You know, something will show them the sort of the way uh, through. And sometimes, yes, that happens. But a lot of times I've talked to people who have waited years and nothing's happened or something's happened, but it hasn't made them any happier. So I think the advice that I would give is be proactive and figure out what it is that you want to do. Don't just stick it out and hope for something to change, hope for something to happen to you. Figure out actively what it is that you want and and go and make it happen because you, you can do that. You do have the tools, whether you know it or not. There are things that are working to your advantage, even if you feel like you're in kind of the worst possible situation. 
Okay, so we've heard from 20s and 30s and 40s, but what happens when you get into your 50s or even above your 50s? What about that? I set achievable goals in the mornings. My first goal is to get hit the feet, hit the floor, and get out of bed. If I get that done, I go, yes! That voice you hear is Mark Miller of CareerPivot.com. Mark did 22 years at IBM. He worked for some tech startups. He's been all over the place and been there and done that. Here's what Mark had to say about the perceived challenges when you get into your 50s and above. People in their 50s and 60s, they have, they have these things called obligations, and they're usually larger than your obligations because I can't hear your obligations in the background. Um, and these are usually mortgages, uh, finally putting kids through college. Um, we're supposed to be at our peak earning years. Uh, unfortunately, what's happened to most of us is we went through two brutal recessions when we were supposed to be saving up for retirement. So the reality is the vast majority are still trying to save money so they may eventually someday retire. So the challenge is, is we can't quite take the risks that the younger generations can do because we don't have the career run runway left. And in fact, I, um, <clears throat> many of us are going to have to work into our seventies. And so a lot of, you know, I did a blog post a week ago on the fact is if you're going to work into your seventies, you need to start planning that in your fifties because it's probably not going to be a J O B it's going to be something a collection of things that you're going to be doing. So we can't quite take the risks that the younger generations can. What are the real challenges? Well, I think the real challenges is number one, obviously the uh, elephant in the room is age discrimination. Um, the, there is, you know, we, we are going through a massive demographic shift where we, we've been used to being in control to, um, I mean, I was raised to be an employee, to go work for a father-like company. That would take care of me. And after 30 or 40 years, I would be able to go off and retire. Well, two-thirds of the way through, they moved my cheese. And so making the kind of shifts that are going on with the economy, we're not used to that. <clears throat> We are seeing massive creative destruction happening at an ever accelerating rate. And I mean, I mean, I've got here, I got an iPhone 6S sitting in front of me. Think of what the, what the iPhone and smartphones have done and the amount of industries they've destroyed, the amount of industries they've created, but they've also equally destroyed even more. And that kind of shift is we have to stay nimble on our feet. And that's not something we were necessarily expecting to be able to do at this age. It's a matter of learning how to shift, like I say, bob and weave like Muhammad Ali. Sorry, that wasn't part of the, the plan. So what would you say are the secret advantages that you may have at your age range as compared to other age ranges? Well, I think the number one thing is we have a work ethic. We are used to coming to work, getting the job done. Um, I, like I said, I was raised to be employee. I wasn't raised to follow my passion. I was raised to go get a job and it wasn't supposed to be fun. And so therefore, if you tell me to come in and do a job, we are going to come in. We are going to show up. Uh, by the way, we're going to probably hang around for longer than the younger generations, uh, by the way, the younger generations change more often because that's what we told them to do because they were our kids. Um, but we're going to stick around and we're, we are going to be loyal. So that is the, that is one of the key points is, um, we are going to, we are going to adapt. Uh, but you know what, when all said and done at the end of the day, you're going to be happy with our work. What advice would you give to someone who is in this age range and struggling with making their change? Okay. Number one, we are used to being in control. When you're making these kinds of changes, you have no control. In other words, you have no control over when jobs open, you have uh, 
you have very little control. So number one, you have to, you have to be able to, um, be able to move and react and, and prepare and doing it differently. A lot of our generation, what we did was, is we reacted as things happened rather than this, in, in this day and age, you need to make your opportunities. And the other piece is your next job or your next career is going to come through a relationship. One of the challenges that many of us in my generation, yeah, we've, we've, our career has progressed because of relationships, but very often those relationships have aged out. In other words, the folks who helped us get to us to where we are today are, have either retired, died, or have, or are no longer in a position of power. So therefore you need to build new relationships. And yes, it's usually with people who are younger than you and start forging those relationships because that's where it's going to come. Um, many of us have gotten used to it. We, we kind of forgot the fact that these relationship, these relationships are what got us to where we are today. But by the way, a lot of those relationships have gone away. So you're going to have to go create more. Is there any other comments or things that you would have regarding somebody in your age range making a career change? One of the most valuable connectors you will have that you probably don't think of is, is this, this concept of weak ties and weak ties are relationships that you, people who you don't know well, these are people you've probably worked with in the last 10, 20 or 30 years. So a, a good example of this is particularly if you have older children or even adult children, think about this, your adults, your adult children's friends, parents. Josh, you look like you've got young kids. One of the th most valuable things to you will be your kids, friends, parents, because they have networks that are very, very different from yours. They know people you don't. And again, your next, every transition you're going to make is going to come through a relationship. I had a near fatal bicycle accident 15 years ago. Uh, I decided to go teach high school math. My most valuable connector was my chiropractor. She knew lots of people I didn't know. So hopefully I've planted a few seeds there. Okay, for any section of this podcast, no matter whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, you can actually go over to happentoyourcareer.com forward slash 232. That's happentoyourcareer.com forward slash 232 and be able to download the mini guide that we've put together containing all of this information and what some of the hardest parts are and also some of the special unique advantages you have at any age. Because quite frankly, I want you to be able to understand what those real challenges are, but also what you can and should use as your advantage too. That's a big deal. That's kind of what we do here at Happen to Your Career. And that's kind of why we spend so much time talking about strengths. Well, some of those things come along with different age and life experience too, which is pretty cool. Might as well use it. You got it, right? Okay. I hope you enjoy that. If, if you love this episode, this is the first time we've done this particular type of episode before in this way. And if you loved it, I want to hear from you. Drop an email to hello at happentoyourcareer.com and let me know what you thought of the episode and if you want more. Uh, if you hated it too and you know you love some of our other episodes instead, let us know that as well. You know, it's all good. Until next time on the Happen to Your Career podcast where we have an even other special first-time episode. I don't even know what to call this. Well, I'll tell you what, just take a listen to the preview. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because it's about standards and especially when you have high standards like you and I do and a lot of our students do, where do you draw the line between excellence and, you know, an unattainable sort of excellence. That's our very own Caroline Adams. She came back on the Happen to Your Career podcast 
On an impromptu kind of way, we actually scheduled a discussion after the last podcast that she and I did together on perfectionism. And we actually broke down the challenges that we have individually. She is a, she is a career coach and me is a past coach, past HR professional, um, you know, running this company, the, the challenges that we have individually with perfectionism and what we do about them too. And it, we didn't intend to record it for podcast purposes, but we realized it might be really beneficial to hear what, uh, what it looks like from a couple of people's painfully honest perspective. So look for that next week on the happen to your career podcast we'll see you then until then i am out adios do we need to do any like goofy outtakes for the for the outro <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about asking <laughs> you is there anything specific you want to do for outtakes <laughs> but uh but no I, I think i think i usually can grab enough stuff um, generally speaking. And so I usually try not to take stuff from the guest um, if they're not expecting that the outtakes could be taken. But uh, um, Oh, I I relish. I look forward to hearing <laughs> what a goober I sound like in the outtakes. And it's like, uh, oh, man, no plausible deniability. That is yeah, my the, voice. But, uh, but Scott, Scott's like open book. And so open <laughs> or open season. And so... <laughs> Oh, I, Scott I, is excellent at generating accidental outro-worthy content. <laughs> oh. That's one of his six strengths, I think.